G'day, my name is Jeff. It's my privilege to continue looking with you at Luke, Luke chapter 2 uh, this week. I encourage you to have your Bible open because we're going to read through the whole chapter, think about what it means and how it applies to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, do please help us as we look at your word. We pray that your word will be a light for our feet and a lamp for our path, that you would help us to know more of the great and wonderful things about the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for the most part, I'm a person who likes things to be predictable. I, I like things to go the way I expect, as I planned. I remember when uh, Carmelina and I were deciding to have children, we wanted it to be predictable. So we read everything. Um, what to expect when you're expecting, so you're going to be a dad, fatherhood, book after book after book. We also attended classes, uh, prenatal classes, <laughs> they were uh, run by a Jewish Christian hippie midwife, they were interesting. Um, Carmelina even wrote, uh, wrote a, a, a Bible college essay on parenting, just as an opportunity to read widely on the subject. We wanted to know, we wanted to know everything in advance. We wanted to manage our expectations. We wanted to prepare for every eventuality so that there were no surprises. I'm glad we did it. It was, uh, it was good to be informed. It was, um, it was good as each new experience came along to just have a sense that, that we're somewhat prepared. We, we, we were expecting it. We knew what was going on. I, I do like things to be predictable. But even I have to admit this. Some of the best moments in life are surprises. It's certainly been true of parenting. Um, I must have read 20 books about being a parent, but nothing could have prepared me for the feeling that I had as my children were born. You, no amount of reading could have fixed that. It was just utterly surprising, overwhelming, mind-blowing. Uh, nothing could prepare me for the feeling of uh, having them smile at me. Or, or, or call me dad. All these things were, were glorious surprises. And it's been the same as the kids have grown up. Um, some of the most joyous moments, some of the most special moments have been, well, they've come as a surprise. There'll be um, some unplanned conversation. Or uh, we'll play together in the band here at church. Or um, who knew that teaching kids to drive would be such a joy? To have teenagers have to sit next to you and need you for 120 hours. What, what a great and unexpected privilege that is. I like things to be predictable, but sometimes it's the surprises that are best of all. Luke chapter 2 is made up of three journeys. In, in each of the journeys, Joseph and Mary, Jesus' parents, they, they take Jesus somewhere. On each journey, we, they and we learn more about who Jesus is and what he came to do. Now, most of it is um, it's straight out of the Old Testament. It's what you'd expect from the Old Testament. But on each journey, we learn some, 
some surprising things about Jesus, things that you might not expect. The first journey, uh, the first journey happens while Jesus is still in the womb. There's a Roman census. People have to go to their ancestral town to register for this census. Uh, Joseph's ancestral town is Bethlehem. So he and pregnant Mary, they head to Bethlehem. Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. Have a look with me. Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went down to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And Jesus is born there in Bethlehem. That's what God said would happen in the Old Testament. We read it last year in the book of Micah. Do you remember? The king was to be born in Bethlehem. But there are all kinds of surprises here. King Jesus is not, um, he's not born in a palace. He's born in some kind of cave or stable or something because, because all the accommodation is booked out. I mean, it's a bit like trying to book a holiday in New South Wales at the moment. Everything's booked out and Jesus ends up being born in a stable and his mum puts him, um, puts him in an animal feed trough as a makeshift bassinet, verse 6. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Some angels announced the birth of Jesus, but not to kings, not to rulers, not to religious people. Surprisingly, they announced the news to some ordinary people, some shepherds. And they described this surprising sign. The saviour and messiah and lord of the universe has come, as promised in the Old Testament. He will bring peace to God's people and he's lying in an animal feed trough. Again, not what you'd expect. Verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. The shepherds come to see the baby. Uh, they tell people what they heard from the angels. They tell Mary what they heard from the angels. People are amazed. And Mary ponders all this surprising information. The shepherds praise God, and then the last thing for this trip is we hear the story of how Jesus is circumcised and named. Verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. 
The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Circumcision is a bit of a strange ritual, isn't it? I told you this story before, and no one seems to get it, but I'll try again. Um, I remember going to my little cousin's circumcision, and someone spoke to my uncle and said, do you, do you think circumcision hurts the baby? My uncle said, does it hurt? Of course it hurts. That baby won't walk for a year. Anyway, Jewish humour doesn't seem to work. Uh, okay, that's trip number one. Joseph and Mary take Jesus to Bethlehem. Brings us to trip number two. Jesus is about 40 days old, and Joseph and Mary take him on a trip to Jerusalem. They head to the temple in Jerusalem, and they do it to fulfill some requirements from the law of Moses, from the Old Testament. They do, um, they do exactly what you would expect from the Old Testament. They ceremonially um, purify themselves, and they dedicate Jesus to God as their firstborn. Now, um, we learn here that they're too poor to offer a lamb as a sacrifice. So as the law of Moses allows for poor people, they offer birds as sacrifices. Verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. While they're in the temple, two people approach Jesus' parents. Uh, first, there's a man called Simeon. Simeon is a prophet. The Holy Spirit keeps revealing things to Simeon. And Simeon reckons that Jesus is going to be great. He's going to be the Lord's Messiah, the, the, the promised saviour who will bring glory to Israel, who will save them from their enemies. But also, surprisingly, Simeon says that Jesus will reveal God to Gentiles. Well, as you can imagine, once again, Joseph and Mary are surprised and amazed. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Notice that a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. But Simeon has more surprising news. He addresses Mary and he says, Jesus isn't just going to bring salvation. He's not just going to be a king. He's going to bring division to Israel. Jesus is going to cause, Simeon says, some people to rise, but he's also going to cause some people to fall. He says that Jesus will be spoken against. People will oppose Jesus. And he says that uh, Jesus will bring great pain to Mary herself. Verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, 
This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Another prophet, a lady called Anna, speaks. She thanks God for Jesus and she says he's going to be a redeemer. He'll bring people back to God. Verse 36. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She'd lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption, the redemption of Jerusalem. Joseph and Mary return home. And so Jesus grows up in the backwater town of Nazareth. Now again, this is surprising. The idea that the promised king would grow up in a town like Nazareth. It's like I'm trying to think of a kind of a modern equivalent. It's, it's something like, imagine saying, come and meet the future king of England, John Smith from Dubbo. Not what people would have expected. Verse 39. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. All right, two trips so far, a trip to Bethlehem, a trip to Jerusalem. Now we come to the third and last trip of uh, chapter 2. Joseph and Mary take Jesus on this third trip. Again, it's a trip to Jerusalem. Uh, but this time we've jumped forward in time. Jesus is about 12 years old. His parents bring him to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover festival. Unfortunately, there's some kind of miscommunication and they end up heading back to Nazareth without Jesus. I might sound bad, but I personally can't really be critical of Jesus' parents here because this is something that I have done on more than one occasion with my own children. I vividly remember... Uh, not that long ago, uh, sitting at home in front of the TV, relaxing. And uh, I got a call from a teacher at my children's school. She said, uh, it's getting dark outside. All the other parents were here to pick up their children from the excursion half an hour ago. Where are you? I'd completely forgotten. I was enjoying life with kids on an excursion, totally forgot to pick them up. Impressive, really, how undamaged they are by my bad parenting. Anyway, no criticism from me for uh, Jesus' parents, uh, but uh, they, they lose him, leave him in Jerusalem. They head back to Nazareth. Uh, anyway, they, his, his mum and dad, they go back to Jerusalem. They find Jesus in the, the temple, listening to teachers and asking questions. People are amazed by his knowledge of God and of God's law. Verse 41. Every year... Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. And they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem looking for him. After three days... A day's travel, a day back, and then looking for him for a day, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his teacher, and 
was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, as you can imagine, Jesus' parents were also amazed, but not in a good way. Verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Jesus answers and he says, he says, I had to be in my father's house. These are the, the first words that Jesus speaks in Luke's gospel. And that's a surprising answer, don't you reckon? I mean, Jesus is claiming to have a special relationship with God as his father. But more than that, he's saying that his relationship with God as his father is going to take priority over his relationship with his parents. He's saying, Mom, Dad, expect to be put in second place. Don't expect me to do the things the way you want. And why? Well, because Jesus is working to a different program. He's following his Father's plan. His parents don't get it. But as Jesus heads back home with them and as a godly and submissive son, Mary continues to ponder all these surprising things. Verse 49. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. Okay, can you see what's here in Luke chapter 2? Three trips, three journeys. Uh, Joseph and Mary take Jesus on these three journeys to, to, to Bethlehem, where he's born, to Jerusalem for his dedication, and then again 12 years later to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And on each of these trips, we learn more from angels and shepherds and prophets, and, uh, and we, 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 we learn more about who Jesus is, He's the Messiah, the King, the Saviour, the Redeemer, the, the Son of God, the, the King in the line of David, the one who will save Israel from her enemies and, and, and give peace with God. He is the one who will bring glory to God. Jesus is the one who will fulfill God's great promises from the Old Testament. But also, on each trip, there are just some things that might surprise you, things you, things you might not expect. God's great, promised, long-awaited king, he's born in a stable. He's laid in a manger. He, he grows up in Nazareth. It's a more um, humble, lowly story than you might expect. Um, this Messiah who's going to, we were told last week, defeat the enemies of God and, and, and bring glory to Israel. Well, we find out he's also going to bring Gentiles into the knowledge of God. He's not just going to be the king of Israel. He, he, he's going to help people who, who you might not expect, surprising people. And then that third story, we see that this great king, he's going to bring, he's going to bring pain to his mum. He's, he's going to keep on surprising them. He'll be... So in the second story and the third story, he'll be opposed. He'll cause division. He'll cause rising and falling. As he follows God's agenda, as he follows the agenda of his heavenly father, not the agenda of his parents, well, it's not going to be what they expect. Okay. 
let's think about applying this passage to ourselves. Friends, uh, as I said at the beginning, I'm a person who likes predictability. I like things to work out as I expected. I like things to go according to plan, but, but sometimes, sometimes I have to admit it's the surprising things that are best of all. And uh, that's what stands out for me here in this story of Jesus. The surprising things are part of what makes Jesus so special. Don't you reckon it's magnificent that Jesus, the king of the universe, came with such humility? Well, he wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a stable. He didn't grow up with a silver spoon in his mouth. Jesus lived an ordinary life. In, in a backwater town, Jesus lived a hard life, working with his hands, a life of poverty, as you see from his parents having to offer the, the, the doves. He, Jesus was, he had a harder, poorer life than most of us. Friends, our king, he's not a, he's not a proud, arrogant king. He, he doesn't... Look down on you like you're some sort of commoner beneath his notice or his care. No, no, friends, Jesus, the, the king of the universe, he humbled himself, not, not just to a stable, not just to a, a town like Nazareth. Jesus humbled himself all the way to a disgraceful, agonizing death on a cross. And why? Because your king loves you. And he's not above getting his hands dirty to save you. The humble king. That's, that's a glorious surprise. Well, what about this surprise? Don't you reckon it's fantastic that Jesus came, not just for God's Old Testament people, the Jews, Jesus also came to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. He, Jesus came for Korean people. Jesus came for Chinese people. Jesus came for Indian people. He came for African people. Jesus even came for Australian people. You might not expect that as you read through the Old Testament, as you read about how the people of Israel, they are at enmity with Gentiles. Gentiles, I mean, you think about them going into the promised land and they defeat and destroy all of the Gentiles. As you read the Old Testament, if you're a Gentile, you might expect to find yourself as God's enemy, as an outsider if you're not Jewish. You might find yourself, you might find yourself thinking that you'd be one who would be destroyed by King Jesus when he comes to defeat God's enemies. But, but no, the surprising and the wonderful news is Jesus came to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. He came not to, Jesus came not to judge you, not to destroy you, but to save you, to show you the truth about God, to show you the way to heaven. That's a glorious surprise, isn't it? Well, what about this surprise? Jesus brought pain to his mum's heart by following his heavenly father's plan rather than hers. That, that was a surprise and disappointment, I think, to her and then that third trip to, to Jerusalem when Jesus was 12. But, but just think about it this way for a second. Can you imagine, can, can you imagine for a second, if you were Jesus' mum, what would you want for Jesus? 
you wouldn't want him to stay single. You wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want him to give up his trade and leave home and trek around Israel teaching people about God. Uh, you wouldn't want him to oppose the religious leaders and cause such division. Uh, you certainly wouldn't want to see your son die on a cross. That would pierce your soul like Simeon prophesied to Mary. Friends, I don't mean any disrespect to Mary, but I'm pretty confident of this. If Mary had had her way, there would be no gospel. Jesus wouldn't have died for us. But this surprising Jesus, this unexpected Jesus, this Jesus who surprises and disappoints his parents here, he's following his heavenly father's plan not the plan of his parents. Yes, that caused them surprise and grief on the trip to Jerusalem when he was a boy. No doubt it caused Mary great grief as she saw him on the cross. But it's vital for us, isn't it? It is critical for us that Jesus followed his heavenly father's plan. He obeyed his father even to death, even death on a cross. It's another glorious surprise. I probably shouldn't share this story and I'll keep it very general so you, you won't know who it is, but uh, the other day I had a, had a, a surprising experience uh, as a dad. Something bad happened to one of my children. He was, he was really, really upset about it. Uh, he was at home. I was sitting in, in my study at, uh, at church here and uh, he got in his car and he drove to church and he came into my study and he gave me a big hug and kind of cried on my shoulder. I'm sad that this bad thing happened to my child. Um, if I could undo it, I would. But I have to say, I was so moved that in his pain, he came to me. Just, just thinking about it brings a tear to my eye. I tell you what, I certainly was not expecting that when I signed up to be a dad. I wasn't expecting the joy and privilege of, of, of sharing in the bad times as well as the good times for my children. Sometimes it is the surprising things that are most powerful, most meaningful, most important. Friends, these surprising things about Jesus, they are very powerful, very meaningful, very important, aren't they? These surprising things about Jesus, they are so precious. Let's pray. A gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that King Jesus came in humility, born in a manger, oh, laid in a manger and born in a stable and, and, and growing up in Nazareth. We thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ didn't come just to save Israel, but to be a light of revelation for the Gentiles as well. And we thank you that the Lord Jesus followed your plan, even above the plans of his parents. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the greatness and goodness of the Lord Jesus and all the things that were promised and prophesied about him in the Old Testament, but we thank you also for these surprising things. And we thank and praise you for our precious Saviour. In Jesus' name, amen.